When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. scary output of AI like in the near term. It's not necessarily, you know, a killer robot, it's humanity like inflicting the worst parts of ourselves back at ourselves. Welcome back folks, this is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for your time today. Today I am at Dodger Stadium and uh, we'll have kind of a really interesting confluence of events. I came up to interview uh, Spartan founder Joe DeSana and then he interviewed me and then we interviewed someone else, and now I'm interviewing someone else. And I may interview someone else after that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, before I introduce my next guest, Kyle Russell, um, let me remind you that my book, The Way of the Seal, the fifth anniversary edition, is due out on Memorial Day. Uh, you can pre-order it or take a look at it at wayoftheseal.com. And if you do pre-order it at that URL, we're offering you a free workbook PDF, which has all the exercise and all the cool things in it. Um, you can download from that. So wayoftheseal.com. Also reminder, Burpees for Vets Challenge. I really need help. We're, um, we're doing 22 million burpees this year, raising a minimum $250,000 for, for veterans who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. 22 vets a day are committing suicide. It's unsat. We've got to do something for them. So we're going to do our part, but I need help. So go to burpeesforvets.com. It's hard to say all one word fast. And uh, you can um, learn how to support me or set up a team to come help. So Kyle Russell, I just met. Thanks for doing this, Kyle. For, yeah, it's you my know, pleasure. I dragged you in here. I dragged Kyle in because uh, some of you who have been listening to me a long time know that I'm just uh, really interested in technology and future um, confluence, singularity, you know, and also what it means to be human in uh, in this accelerating world. In fact, the first chapter of my um, the book that I've I've just re-edited or, or um, I'm reintroducing is called leading and accelerating times. This whole perception that technology is making things go faster, even though that's just a perception, it's not right. reality, right? Yeah, but our entire experience of reality is via perception. Via so perception, right. So Kyle, <laughs> before we get into some interesting thing, Kyle like talks circles around me. Kyle works uh, with a company called Skydea and they make autonomous robots. And he was showing me this super light autonomous, like fully autonomous drone that weighed about Two five pounds. ounces. Two pounds. <laughs> like, to me, it felt like five ounces. <laughs> Two pounds, really? Yeah. So uh, without the battery, it's a little bit lighter. But okay. uh, even with we're using really advanced uh, aerospace-grade materials, anodized aluminum, carbon fiber, right. still comes in in two pounds. Yeah. So this device, um, when, so you program it. Right. And then, so you program it to do a specific thing and then it goes and does it. That's what you mean by fully autonomous? Yeah. So the idea. It's not like thinking, hey, now I need to go over here on its own. So it's, it's not AI. Uh, it's actually closer to the AI side than the kind of naive just go over there. So uh, the way most drones work when you have them do like an, an autonomous operation, you 
essentially like let's say you're trying to do a, a capture of a building you want to mm -hmm. generate a 3d model so you can inspect it for damage after a hailstorm captured by video not like a navy seal right yes team exactly okay. you're getting imagery of something and like so let's say you're looking at a rooftop and you want to look for hail damage because right. you're doing a job for an insurance provider um basically apps that pilots use you kind of draw a box around the building it creates this kind of naive way Path, waypoint path of altitude and GPS locations mm -hmm. and it just kind of follows this um, but it's not really aware of the environment around it and mm -hmm. so what happens a lot of people who use drones regularly run into this they crash mm -hmm. uh, either from like user error or just the conditions changed and the drone was able to handle it mm -hmm. and so Skydio R1 built from the ground up to see and understand the world around it and actually be able to act on that understanding. Hmm. So it's got 13 cameras. So it'll fly around the antenna that nobody. That's exactly there. right. Even with like, so let's say you're trying to do a cell phone or a cell tower. Right. Uh, you know, other drones, they're kind of screwed up because of electromagnetic in interference coming from these towers. Ours doesn't need to communicate with the outside world to do its job. It can like see the world. It's using deep learning. I won't use too much jargon, but basically it recognizes what things are and based on what it sees, it that changes its behavior. So yeah. it knows how to act appropriately given the context. So here's the obvious question someone's going to ask. Like, what, what if um, some bad guy hacks into the controlling mechanism and just changes this mind, changes the mind to recognize Mark Devine as a bad actor and you know so delivers some sort of payload? So there's a couple of things that we're kind of actively doing to prevent bad actors. Um, one is we don't offer that level of access to kind of define at a lower level like uh, this this person is bad um, or kind of change its understanding of the world. The way that the kind of access we give to folks that let's say want to figure out how to use it in uh inspecting a construction site to see how well it's going. Mm -hmm. um, are they ahead of schedule or behind or what's mm -hmm. going on? Uh, you basically give it um, missions where you're saying, you know, here, here's roughly what we need to get imagery of. And in real time, it's going, okay, here's all the things I need to, I need to avoid. Uh, here's the path I need to follow in order to get the shots I need. Right. And dynamically, like, don't, if a person comes into my path, like stop and let them pass right. or go around them. But, but surely the uh, military has been knocking and or and or there you have competitors who are doing military versions and our, you know, our so, Chinese friends and our, you know, friends in other countries are working on the same technology. And so thankfully, there's no terrifying there, when you think of autonomous drone swarms, you know. So we're pretty far ahead uh, of other our, our peers. We've got a lot of inbound interest from industry, government. Um, don't know I can speak to. Uh, how far along in those conversations are, but um, there's plenty of interest to basically uh, like one thing that people want to use drones for is take humans out of harm's way. Mm. Um, and so you can imagine, you know, going into locations where you're not sure, like, is there like risk a, or a not FEMA involved? type environment, um, FEMA type environment, uh, military operations I where, see, right. you know, you have, you have human lives at stake and you don't want to, you know, risk sending them somewhere where they're going to be put at risk. Um, but, Going back to the bad actor problem. So one, there's a certain level of control we still have where we can define missions, but we're still finding, defining the underlying objectives of like you're not hitting things and right. you're just capturing visual imagery. And with regards to like, oh, what if the drone carried a dangerous payload? Mm -hmm. uh, we actually detect weight, uh, the pressure applied to our drone. And if mm -hmm. someone has like attached anything that uh, you know, isn't supposed to be there, we actually won't let the drone fly. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're kind of taking active steps in a bunch of little ways to kind of undermine the tricks someone might try to pull to mm -hmm. use our vehicle in mm -hmm. kind of a way that we didn't intend. Yeah. You know, I probably should have said uh, when I was introducing you about Kyle. So Kyle's like a, um, I, 
uh, I heard this word earlier, but child prodigy in technology. So you, he actually was hired by Andreessen yes. when you were 19, right? To, uh, no, to... so I was going on 22 when I was hired 22, by Andreessen. Okay. Andreessen's one of the top uh, tech VCs. You know, yeah, so Mark Andreessen, Andreessen, one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz, uh, right. he invented the web browser back in 1993. Actually, a month before I was born, they released the 1.0 Netscape, of Mosaic. Right? Yeah. Mosaic. Mosaic, which became Netscape, right. that's right. Yeah. Kind of the big first. So you were brought in to help kind of advise and think about uh, technology, Uh, emerging technology. So not just advise, I was actually a member of the investment team. And so the kind of areas I was looking at, we considered them emerging computing platforms. Mm -hmm. And so these were things like augmented virtual reality, drones and robotics, Mm -hmm. AI, uh, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and blockchains. So Mm -hmm. basically the things that have a credible uh, you know, path in front of them of becoming the next big thing, you know, whether it's AR and VR maybe being the step after mobile as like, mm-hmm. what are the computers everyone has on them at all times and how we engage with the world to quantum computing, like what's the future of the cloud and, mm-hmm. you know, the big infrastructure that we run really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, big advanced applications on the power mm-hmm. of the infrastructure that big companies mm-hmm. use. Um, so looking at it from different perspectives and trying to find like what what companies even have a credible path to that. Right, yeah. right. Oh, that's pretty fascinating. So let's um, talk about some of the big ideas in sure. some of those tech fields, okay. right? First, let's just start with AI. Yeah. Because everyone, you know, the, the movie industry has been pumping out all these different views of the future with AI. Tend and to have a little bit of a dystopian tinge. There's all this, <laughs> yeah, there's this dystopian tinge. Just, you know, <laughs> to be frank, it's pretty brutal. And so the question is, in, you know, in your mind, can... Uh, can AI, you know, like in the Kurzweilian future world, gain sentience or have an awareness that obviously a different type of intelligence than a human, but, um, you know, basically be an autonomous sentient, you know, thing like we see in the movies? So, Or is it more of a practical tool? So I think the fact that we don't really understand how consciousness works for humans makes it really hard for us to evaluate the actual time frame to developing a comparable system artificially. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that what we're getting at is the ability to act in very human ways, which the problem is that people are really good at anthropomorphizing things. We we tell, we look at at our dog and we go like, look at all these things they're doing that are clearly like have intention behind it. It's acting like a person. It's thinking about its actions. And so we're going to see things driven by, deep learning or reinforcement learning that the behavior, the actions that robots or software agents are able to take looks increasingly human like human like. equivalent right. in terms of like, wow, that output was impressive. And and, and far superior to the human capacity. Oh yeah, with like basically chess, a, chess lot of the same, a lot of the same advantages as like computers players. generally. They can right. do things a billion times in the time frame it would take us to do right. once, right. Uh, one iteration. Um, or do one task many, many times mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. really quickly. Um, and so I think that, you know, there is the side of things where, okay, are there certain classes of jobs that are going to be done by robots where Mm -hmm. they were previously done by people and maybe those jobs were fairly low skilled labor, but I'm not so much worried about that transitioning at some point, like in unknown timeframe flipping to, and, and now we have conscious robots and and, pets. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something where we're talking more decades than you can count on one hand and Mm -hmm. maybe even like a century out. Although one of the things that's kind of, but it sounds like you think that's a possibility. Yeah. And one of the things that also makes it, I don't want to put the kind of date too far out is uh, the advancements we make on 
several fronts, whether it's the computing hardware itself, the underlying techniques that come out of academia about like how do these systems work right. can accelerate progress much faster than we expect. And this is where something like deep learning right. in the 80s, people were conceiving of these neural well, networks. In the 2000s, con- they had the right idea. known as the breakout. Right. And so the breakout is, from what I understand, is basically when the whatever the AI project is, because there's a lot of different types of AI, and you know this better than I do, obviously. Right. Uh, one project or one strand would be to try to replicate the human brain through imaging. Another strand would be through um, quantum, you know, computing and trying to basically create AI or, you know, it's super intelligent being like that. But one of these might work. And the breakout moment is when the self-learning happens at an accelerating rate to where it's just suddenly you have an interesting thing and all of a sudden you have the computing power of the entire human race, and it all happens like in a day. So that's a theory. That's so the path that feels most likely to have a potential breakout like that would be there's a kind of subset within machine learning academia where they're essentially making neural nets that can come up with new neural net architectures right. that like you're constantly optimizing right. to a better architecture that accomplishes the task that you want in a more efficient or faster way. And that's something where... Uh, you could imagine it's very easy to go into a okay sci-fi what's the crazy version of this you know right. what's the crazy outcome where it's oh it, it accidentally generated consciousness for itself because it created a sufficiently advanced architecture right. um, and we just didn't we didn't know what that architecture would look like but by this thing essentially running billions of variations of different approaches on its own just kind of stumbles upon it, it. becomes self-aware monkey monkeys like typewriters but instead of typing text it's coding right interesting yeah, that's a fascinating subject. You know, again, this is that makes sense if you believe that consciousness is complexity, right? Which is Ray Kurzweil's whole argument. Right. The com- uh, it's complexity of the human mind and um, the interactions that lead us to be self-aware or conscious. Right. Um, you know, I have a very spiritual um, training through the martial arts and through yoga and meditation and. You know, I think I don't really agree with that approach because I my experience is that consciousness extends beyond the brain. That there's a field of awareness that includes um, our interaction with the world and our you know our entire nervous system and our heart and our belly and the research on the heart and the biome. So thinking thinking that. along the lines of like the embodied consciousness yeah, of the kinda, fact that it's not just this like it's not brain in the, a vat. It's, it's not this just the brain in the vat, the organ of the brain. Right. So not to say though that the human body being could also be replicated as a brain or could be right that's where it's like oh well you give it touch sensors and the ability to detect yeah exactly like actually act on the things so you have some emotional ai and there's some research into that but then there's this spiritual aspect it's like what is the energy that infusing it is it just electricity or is there intelligence in the life force the prana the whole concept the eastern concept of of chi life force Mm -hmm. or prana and is how does that affect consciousness those things are, haven't been looked at because those are taboo subjects by, you know, for the scientific community. And so they just like, well, that's just voodoo. That's yeah. metaphysics. It's beyond physics. But it, there are areas where when you don't know what you'd be measuring or testing, uh, you know, it, it's hard to just kind of have it. a grounded theory. And that's right. and that's where, again, we might just find like new perception capabilities or, again, maybe it's like, throwing ai the problem actually lets us find like oh these are the yeah. observable things the connected to this yeah to a- ai discovers consciousness. consciousness yeah uh solves it for yeah. us 
And then we can, <laughs> then we can make one for them. Hey, folks. I want to tell you about a product developed by a friend of mine, Navy SEAL Dr. Kirk Parsley. It's called the Sleep Remedy. I tried it recently during my Unbeatable Mind Summit, and boy, this stuff works. I can't say enough good things about it. I fell asleep quickly, didn't wake up feeling groggy, and uh, man, I, I was like rock and roll the next day. Doc Parsley designed this to help Navy SEAL teammates back in 2009. They had been coming to him, and they were having a huge problem with sleep. And, and this is not just SEALs and spec ops that have this problem. It's everybody, or many people, I should say, who are hyper-successful. So he concocted these things from things that are normally associated with developing, you know, or the, the chemicals that are in your brain that, that help facilitate sleep. And so he pulled them together, and now he's put it all into one you know, powder-based product been hugely successful he's been on the market now for a little while and you know what he said in his talk to us was that everything is degraded when you don't sleep your emotions um, your emotional balance your decision making problem solving your impulse control willpower they're all degraded because these are all controlled by your prefrontal cortex and it gets impaired by up to 30 percent with one single night of sleep where you're deprived and then furthermore, all of your hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, and uh, they all decrease. The production of those decrease by also up to 30% with just a single night of sleep where you're deprived. And it probably could be just a limited, you know, just an hour off. Doc Parsley's sleep remedy designed to concentrate the most important nutrients that you need when you're preparing to go to sleep. It is drug-free. It's a nutritional supplement. And thousands of people, like I said, have tried it. First responders, Navy SEALs, athletes, CEOs, and they all find that it's very useful. Uh, if you're interested in trying it, there's an unlimited, no questions asked, money back guarantee. And you can get 10% off by entering the code UNBEATABLEMIND when you order it at DocParsley, D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y.com. So enter UNBEATABLEMIND in the coupon code box at DocParsley.com. I recommend check it out. We are. Do you see AI as kind of a partnership, like a handshake between this human-created intelligence and humanity? Like that you, is your vision of the future that there's this kind of like copacetic partnership, or the more the dystopian view that it could turn into a you know antagonistic or you know or so, both. There's good and bad in tech. So good and bad, but the way I think about it is for the foreseeable future machine learning in its various forms based on different techniques, they're all going to be built into tools. Yes. And though just as any other tool technology can be used for good and bad ends, right. it will be misused. And so when people, it's fascinating to see things like Mark Zuckerberg being dragged in front of Congress to testify and then people going like, well, what do you think? Like kind of asking him about the like Elon Musk style pontification like, about the future. Of AI. <laughs> well, connect. no, but thinking about like, oh, well, what do you think about the possible ramifications of AI. Well, we know the possible ramifications yeah. of AI. It's actually here today in the form of a news feed that's trying to optimize for sending you content that like right. you find appealing and kind of yeah. activates there your confirmation a... bias parts of your brain. Like right. it turns out it generates hyper filter bubbles where we all live in different information realities. Mm -hmm. That's the scary output of AI like in the near term. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily you know a killer robot. It's humanity like inflicting the worst parts of ourselves back at ourselves. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's true.
Very interesting. So, okay, so we covered AI. I mean, obviously a lot more to cover. <laughs> AI is uh, embedded in all these other technologies. Right. Right. Um, what about the blockchain? So, you know, I, I, I laugh because a few years ago I was all into Bitcoin and I, you know, I bought a bunch of it. And then, you know, after Mt. Gox got hacked, I sold all but five. <laughs> and I'm like, my wife and I were laughing because I'm like, sorry, honey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry for the second and third houses we no longer Exactly. Have. Sorry about that. Uh. But I still have five. Anyway, so, you know, I've been buying, you know, I've been, you know, really start, I, I said, okay, that was a mistake. I really got to investigate it because this really is transformative tech that's going to affect all industry, probably at some level or most. And so, um, you know, I've been looking into some of the projects, you know, like some of the, uh, like Neo and EOS and BitShares and, you know, some of the really cool blockchain projects. What's your familiarity with blockchain and what's your view on how this is going to, you know, how the distributed ledger technology and yeah. blockchain is going to change the so, way decentralized things and change the way things are done. So Cause it's not just the currency. There is the currency thing. And that, that's, that's, you know, people know about that, but this, this is way beyond. So I, I think it's also, I don't want to dismiss currencies because it's actually going to play an important part. So a little bit of context in Dries and Horowitz, um, they were very early as a silicon, like, Silicon Valley venture capital firm with a actually reputable name going yeah. pretty heavily into the space. So yeah, three instance, years ago, right? yeah, uh, more than that. Really so um, back before it was hot. So Chris Dixon, the general partner who I worked with, um, he's actually a board member at Coinbase mm -hmm. and made that investment kind of right around. Amazing how fast Coinbase has grown. Oh, they went from like being considered kind of a joke yeah. in a just overall company. like Silicon Valley, like oh the whole Bitcoin thing's going away, like. Who needs a Bitcoin bank if, you know, right. no one's going to be using it and that's all going away. Um, and now, you know, they're bringing in who ungodly sums of revenue and, uh, you know, very quick. Like, this is not inside of information, but if you just look at the hiring they're doing and how much revenue they're clearly bringing in, like they are on the path to be a giant public company at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so blockchains, cryptocurrencies, crypto, you know, computing, however you want to think about that. Um a couple different angles to it. I, a lot of areas I talk about, I say I'm like of two minds. Mm -hmm. Crypto is an area where I say I'm of like three or four minds. <laughs> um, so I'll start with the positives. So on the positives, the kind of ecosystem that's been developing around these technologies, starting with Bitcoin, then kind of ramping up, especially with the launch of Ethereum mm -hmm. um, and other platforms that have tried to be you know, not just this uh, ledger of transactions that have been happened that you can't double spend and you can, you know, kind of have this entire monetary system that's like mm -hmm. a trustless and decentralized. Okay, now let's also run computation on top of this mm -hmm. or store things on one of these decentralized networks or do large scale computation. Run apps um, on top right. of it and have a um, whole ecosystem. Yeah. So what's fascinating is, uh, and this is like a very, uh, we talked about this at Andrews and Hortz, a Dixonian theory mm -hmm. of the world after Chris Dixon, um, the idea that this is kind of the first uh, potential force that could enable kind of a swing back away from centralization in big technology. Mm -hmm. um, right now, a ton of power has accumulated in the hands of you know the fangs, Facebook, yeah. Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, mm -hmm. um, where... If you look at, for instance, like ad, the ad industry, uh, the power over the control of information, that, that's one way. There, there's mm -hmm. multiple lenses. Yeah. You could look at like essentially monopolistic behavior, but there's also monopolistic behavior in terms of just like, control again, like creating reality bubbles thing I mentioned earlier. Um, 
who who says what truth is right. um where basically there's just like since the mid 2000s concentration in these handful of players that matter to the detriment of frankly the rest of the silicon valley ecosystem even mm-hmm. like it there's some upside in that okay uh if you have any modicum of success you can assume that like facebook scooping you up is like maybe an option like <laughs> oh they'll just buy you up for your talent and right. take you out make you not a competitor anymore mm-hmm. um and that's like kind of a good thing if you're like uh, someone who needs to actually like get money back to your venture capitalist investors or, you know, be able to afford a home in Silicon Valley. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, ha- having only a handful of companies have that much power has a ton of downsides. Right. Um, and so having the potential to make all these applications that we have that make the modern world as impressive as they are. Like the fact that we have these phones in our pockets that give us access to all of the world's information mm-hmm. and the ability to communicate with our friends, family and strangers who have similar interests very seamlessly. That's amazing. But imagine if that communication all happened in a way that, you know, didn't lead to concentrated information outcomes. wasn't decentralized. Um, you owned it. You could, you know. Or, or you, yeah, you own your information or you at least have greater control over what other folks can do with it. Yeah. Making a more intentional trade-off of you can have my information or to provide me some value. Most people don't understand how that works. So let's, let's compare like Steemit to Facebook. Sure. Help some, help the listener understand how is Steemit social platform different than Facebook? Yeah. So so what's the Steemit, uh, basically, uh, combined underlying social platform that looks, you want to compare to Facebook. I'll get to that, but it's heavily inspired by Reddit, Reddit. uh, where people submit content and then using, a function of either being able to upvote it, uh, say, I like this piece of content, or downvote, mm-hmm. kind of filter out as a community, so what, news, what does everyone news see? news gets downvoted, theoretically. Mm, and presumably, news. you know, we, we find that, like, people like sharing things that confirm their biases, whether mm-hmm. it's true or not. Mm-hmm. And so and these systems will have the same problems that mm-hmm. non-decentralized systems have in that mm-hmm. human nature is pretty awful at some of these things. Like, mm-hmm. we're just not good at acting nobody owns. There's no central actor that owns the data. But there is a right. company called Steemit, right? Somebody runs the right. organization. And, and so th- this is an interesting thing where for a lot of these projects, the idea is they kind of start off centralized. They raise funds from the community by selling some kind of token right. associated with the network that they're That's going the to operate coin offer right SEC um, is cracking down on. yeah and we'll see people are going to try and come up with new names for this concept yeah. to try and get around that or there'll be multi-stage processes where they only work with private investors mm-hmm. and then open up to mm-hmm. uh you know the broader investing public um the idea is you end up funding the development of this platform in a decentralized way and that then Anyone who's interested in the idea and believes it could be valuable can contribute mm-hmm. funds to it and mm-hmm. have it be developed. Then you have this concentrated group of developers who have bought into the vision are working for the company that will you know, get it off the ground, make mm-hmm. the core parts that will actually be a functional application. But then because you have these tokens out there associated with some kind of value being created on the network, you can actually decentralize the so entire the op- operation value. behind so it. So the company can step away or dissolve. Right. And this is where I'm actually going to bring it back to Bitcoin. Like probably the most interesting thing that happened around is that Satoshi, the you know anonymous creator, stepped away from the project. And, yeah. you know, he's not like a billionaire who goes to a bunch of conferences and says, like, I created Craig Bitcoin. Wright is Satoshi? Uh, no, I don't. I don't not really. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a particularly informed opinion. Like, I don't necessarily have insider uh, yeah, insight into income. like, okay, but who is? Um, I, I would maybe believe even also arguments that it's actually a group of people who knows. But right. um, the fact that 
this founder, this is so counter Silicon Valley, the founder who was able to step away and this group of people who had incentive because they owned these tokens, Bitcoin, that powered the underlying Bitcoin network, were incentive to these things will become more valuable if we make the underlying infrastructure more scalable, faster, more secure. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to develop it. And it's the same dynamic that comes with working in a startup and having equity and wanting to make that company as good as possible so that that equity is worthwhile. But it's it ends up not actually having this kind of top-down, right. you know, company led by a CEO defining yeah. all of those. I mean, that's decisions. the that's the big argument against Ripple or XRP is that it is a company and they intend to be centralized and run as a company. Well, and also, and yet they're also pretending to be a digital currency. So and there's also pseudo transparency around whether XRP, uh, the token associated with Ripple, is actually, you know, when. X- Ripple, the company, has banking clients. Like, mm-hmm. are those banking clients actually doing anything on top of the cryptocurrency? Mm-hmm. Should its value be associated with their progress going to market? Mm, yeah. Looks like no, no, from the actual information we have available. You know, this might be just way too in the weeds for the average listener, but what yeah. happens if the SEC says that Ethereum and Ripple are uh, securities? So the tricky thing is... The cat is already out of the bag with a lot of these things. And what I mean by that is once you own Ether, the token associated with the Ethereum network, um, okay, yes, many people who are, especially the people who are outright speculators, they have them in an account like Coinbase where like, okay, the SEC can tell Coinbase like, actually, we're shutting this all down and these people like don't own this and crazy things could happen around that. But for the hardcore folks, the folks who, again, are not just speculators, but actively trying yeah, to trying contribute to, to this ecosystem, on top of the they also ERC probably move their token. Ether to a like cryptographically secure wallet that's right. like not accessible from you know any uh, service. And therefore, like if the SEC they can't, says they can't have it, like there's not actually anything the SEC can do to act right, on it. Right, because tra- it's traded worldwide. Right. You know, that's the um, thing a lot of people don't realize, even the SEC maybe. It's like you can't. You could say something, but, you know, I can still go trade on Binance or some other, you know. Well, and that's where a lot of the outcomes with this whole ecosystem are going to be heavily influenced by regulatory arbitrage. Where right. can I make the most progress on this idea I have without the government stepping on me? Right. Um, and so yeah, Binance, it might not. It's Binance not, was going to move to Hong Kong, wasn't it? Hong Kong or, or somewhere? Something along those lines. And then the, all of a sudden the regulators were like, yeah, blah, blah, you know we need this and that and the other thing. And they're like, screw it. So we're going to go to like Macau or or some crazy little country who said, please bring us your billion dollar organization. And that's where, you know, you see companies like, or countries like Estonia who are pushing forward on a bunch of crazy projects involving, you know, having a digital ledger for their identity and, you know, health information and all those kinds of things where there's some places that are going to embrace it. And it's, that's where people shouldn't expect the hubs of this industry to be the same hubs as either finance right. or technology today. One of the uh, projects that I invested in is called BitNation. Okay. And they're a, uh, basically a decentralized government platform. And so there are projects like, so, so this is the, the good use scenario. There, if you're a Syrian, Syrian refugee, Syria is not helping you out. Nobody wants you. There is an organization where you, you can become a citizen Right. of a digital country that'll provide you legal services, provide you, you know, insurance, provide you notary services. Now, it's virtual stuff. It's not going to provide you a home because there's no geography. Although there are some countries like Estonia that will also have a digital blockchain-based currency property, in right. partner, partnership with someone like BitNation. Do you see like a global citizenry evolving that transcends 
the geopolitical borders of country states, nation states. So this is there's a, there's a subset of the community uh, involved in crypto. I, I'm sorry if any listeners here have enough of an We're opinion on the use here. of crypto <laughs> to be mad that I'm using it to talk about that's cryptocurrencies and not cryptography. But um, right. that's something that people get very mad about. Um, but there's a certain subset in this community that believes in kind of the sovereign individual movement, the idea that with the rise of the internet, but especially uh, blockchains, di- distributed ledgers that let you, you know, have money that isn't under government control, uh, that have in- your information not be owned by companies or governments, um, that and freely share information without censorship, um, that the idea of having all of your rights and identity and all that kind of owned by some like a government based on where you were born, the, that becomes absurd. Um, and the idea that you should be able to freely move between places based on like where labor conditions are best for like what you want to do. And mm-hmm. that, you know, you shouldn't necessarily be forced to pay into like one social security system versus again, based on like right. where you're born, but maybe based on like, where which op- which system do you want to opt into that you think yeah, actually accomplishes the end that, right, right that accomplishes the ends that you want that works yeah. in the way that you want um, the interesting thing there is uh, nation states aren't going to go down without a fight <laughs> True that. Yeah. Um, True that. and and so that's something where again it I don't feel particularly confident going you know what will happen I, I think that there's going to be tension between the fact that technology now allows this discussion to even be a possibility mm-hmm. and nation states wanting to still have reliable tax revenues and right. to offer services to their you know communities and not have this like weird multi-tier system where some people are able to opt out because they're just like smarter about these technologies or mad at the latest president right. <laughs> um but it does offer really interesting opportunities of you can imagine entirely different systems where legislation and social safety nets are essentially opt in mm-hmm. and you basically can, you know, and this is where, again, there's two, you can imagine two sides of the coins. You can choose which like na- nationality is your tribe and mm-hmm. again, opt into it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, that means you can choose your tribe and opt into it at the exclusion of others, which is mm-hmm. again, very similar to, Back to the, the problems that we're having bubble, from, yeah. right, exactly. I, I see, you know, my, my more utopian view is there's an, you know, it's a and both, right? So you have your geographic citizenship, but you might have, you know, several citizenships in right. different, which is not dissimilar to an interest group on Facebook or something, but there's real rights and legal obligations that are recognized at an international level that go with those. And the tricky thing to just, you know, a Twitter feed or a Facebook. And an element there is opt in will come faster than opt out. We are going to be able to choose, Oh, this distributed network acts as a universal basic income for people who opt in. And like, I can choose to contribute so that other people who want to be able to take time off of a traditional job can like train, you know, training and learn and grow and go into some other, uh, you know, field. Um, you're going to be able to opt into those kinds of systems really easily, but right. you're not going to anytime soon be able to say like, and I'm not going to pay my taxes to right. Uncle Sam in order right. to fund that UBI. Because yeah. there's someone knocking on your door right. really quickly for that. That's pretty interesting. Okay, I love that. Now, I know you appreciate some soreness brought on by getting busy with a bruising workout, but doesn't it suck when excessive soreness throws us off our game, causing us to back down on our effort or even erasing those hard-won gains? That is why building recovery into our training plan is so important. Now, one way that I do that is with a simple-to-use recovery and healing tool called PowerDot. 
PowerDot is an electrical muscle stimulation device that forces type 2 muscle contractions, allowing you to increase muscle performance, speed up recovery, and also find a deeper mind-body connection. I've used complicated stim devices in the past to heal from my back injuries, but those were clumsy devices and not very effective to use for everyday use. The PowerDot, however, is a game changer because of its simplicity and the control through a well-designed mobile app. It's portable and powerful, making it usable for daily recovery or as needed for excessive soreness and to ward off potential overtraining injuries. PowerDot puts professional-level physical therapy into your gritty hands, saving valuable time and money. Now, the PowerDot team loves us at SealFit and Unbeatable Mind, and they have a generous offer for us. You can get 25% off the device when you go to PowerDot.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T.com. And use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND, at the checkout. So again, receive 25% off of one of my favorite tools for achieving increased muscle performance and recovery by going to PowerDot.com and using that code UNBEATABLEMIND. Hoo-yah. All right, so enough geeking out on this. Um, let's t- go back to the basic premise um, of Unbeatable Mind is how do, we, how do we live a really good life and navigate our way through all these changes? Mm-hmm. How do we optimize ourselves physically, mentally, and emotionally, and even spiritually, and, you know, whether working within like you are or in spite of you know, the technology, right? right? Um, what's your view on how an average citizen is best suited or can best leverage advanced technology without losing their sense of humanity or their sense of self. Because some people go all in and like, especially the younger generation, and it just seems like they get really unhealthy and really distracted. So I I think the key is to use it as a tool, not become the tool. Uh Uh, And this, when when I say become a tool, I mean, you look at folks, let's talk about let's say social media addiction. Who yeah. is it really easy to go after the social media companies, isn't it? Um, but again, this idea that we've provided these frameworks around ourselves that incentivize putting out views of the world or information about yourself that puts yourself in a best light within a certain audience. And it leads to, you know, teenagers like mm-hmm. thinking that they are missing out on all of the social fun and mm-hmm. need to put on this presentation of being the coolest person in their community in a mm-hmm. way that like, Social pressure was like constrained within just the hours of school, at least in the past. Mm-hmm. And now it's, now it's you know, 24 seven, you're putting on your own reality TV show mm-hmm. and you're essentially becoming an agent of like feeding what the algorithms want. Like mm-hmm. if you do this for me, I will put you into these people's feeds and therefore you're going to have a higher chance of getting likes mm-hmm. and you will get a bunch of dopamine from it. Mm-hmm. And then I will know that people like you and I will, you know, start to then factor this into their news feeds. And mm-hmm. you have these systems of like people basing their actions on what the algorithm wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that uh, the author Yuval Noah Harari, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote Sapiens. Everyone mm-hmm. a couple years ago read that. Book, His yeah. follow-up was Homo Deus, yeah, and he basically book, talks yeah. about, yeah, yeah like the algorithm as God. God uh, is people is like, yeah, yeah I, I bow down and serve. Um, so I think framing technology as a tool for you to use versus the other way around is the overall mindset to take yeah. to uh, make sure that you end up on the right side of this is helping you you know, do things more effectively or efficiently or that weren't possible before and let yeah. you accomplish you know, amazing things. And 
the other side of it is uh, adopting a mindset of always learning mm-hmm. um, because that's like what advantages does technology have it's that it's always improving and compounding right. um I, I was i was more speaking in terms yeah. of like technology yeah. versus us like what advantages does it have yeah. uh humans are always making it better uh right. whereas you know by what default kind of humans don't necessarily they're not on some kind of optimization curve where right. like by default we're just more fit and strong and smarter right. yeah. we have to actively go for it and so using a tool with a learning mindset and going you know what are what am being competent understanding self-aware about what is my circle of competence today mm-hmm. this is a concept from charlie munger mm-hmm. richard hathaway mm-hmm. like what am i actually aware of and have mm-hmm. a working mental model of and can act on today and what is just outside of that circle of mm-hmm. competence and what are the steps i could take to get there the circle, and right. turns out usually technology let, makes it easier is one of the things that's like the obvious thing to let you expand right. that right. um you know just looking at the sheer amount of information available on the internet you know there's probably some kind of you know self uh, guided learning you can do to accomplish right, right. parts of your ends mm-hmm. or to figure out what the path is that you should then mm-hmm. be pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of the combination of those two mindsets, yeah, like assuming that. that you have to always be learning and trying to use technology as a tool. For so to be around. very, uh, you know, to take a hard look at how you use technology and, you know, to to recognize when te- technology is distracting yeah. or pulling you away or keeping you in your circle of concern or, or competence, knowledge, yeah. competence, right? And then, um, and where you have opportunity to use technology to expand that circle and to gain new competence. I think that's cool. Most people uh, have trouble going uh, into their discomfort zone. Right. Right. And uh, so that's where I come in is to help people get comfortable with discomfort. And it, it's really hard to things. acknowledge, especially your weak spots. Right. Like, wh- where am I deficient? Right. You, you want to focus on the so parts we where you're need, good. We need an app for that. Kyle, that's your next project. Uh, <laughs> Tell me an app that just scans you. What's a startup name for self-awareness? <laughs> self-awareness, but no vowels. I know, Self-awareness. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Build it on the blockchain with yep. AI app. <laughs> um, but, but I actually genuinely think that something like that is actually going to exist. Sure. Um, so this is a theory about, you know, where is AI going to have, let's say, the least expected impact? Um, you know, you look at what AI is accomplishing today. It's recognizing specific class of specific classes of objects and images or video way better than ever before and it right. understands human language way better than ever before and it can act in the world way better than before because mm-hmm. it can see in every direction and build a 3d map and just know all the stuff not to hit or mm-hmm. trip over or run into um but most people you know you talk especially like a uh, event for people who are trying to think about how this fit how these things will fit into their business, their world. Mm-hmm. Those are really abstract and mm-hmm. kind of hard to connect. But at A6 and Z, one of the theories that we had about where AI would have this like a surprising, deep, actually kind of paradigm changing impact would be the areas where if you look over the last couple of decades, um, costs, expenses um, have accumulated far faster than the rest of the economy. So if you look at things like consumer goods, clothing, electronics, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy a, 65 inch tv that's 4k and beautiful for a thousand dollars where 10 years ago it would have been mm-hmm. five times as thick and 10 grand mm-hmm. um you know consumer electronics always becoming cheaper and more mm-hmm. capable clothing similarly on this curve of becoming much cheaper um but if you look at things like education healthcare, mm-hmm. construction um you know there's there's a reason uh that you know uh students are in, in ever more debt you know mm-hmm. there's just Inefficiencies mm-hmm. are actually accumulating mm-hmm. in these markets. Right. And um, 
one of the things that we basically talked about as a theory would be, you know, if you were just coming out of like a machine learning PhD program at some top school and you wanted to solve a big problem, but had no industry experience, because again, you've been in academia for 10 years or whatever mm-hmm, it is, mm-hmm. um, pick one of those markets, find the kind of big categories of companies in those areas, figure out the rough connections between them and their workflows, mm-hmm. identify friction. That's where you go. Solve That's that your friction. problem to solve. Um, That's cool. It sounds to me like Singularity University, Peter <laughs> Diamandis' mission. You come in here and you come up with an idea that can impact a billion people. Right. And then we'll help you execute on that idea. That's yeah. pretty cool. I, I tend to be of a mindset of solve a very specific pain point and work your way up to that billion person mm-hmm. impact. Yeah. But yeah. overall, the mindset of like, there's just opportunities that are ripe for this kind of disruption. But and we have like, this, this yeah. crazy period right now where everything can be disrupted theoretically. We have... Um, Pretty much within maybe five years or so, you know, everybody, everybody who wants to be connected and has yeah, the, I mean, the ability to you, be connected, meaning they're not you know, like trekking for water or food, you know, right. somewhere or in war-torn zone, will be connected ubiquitously with Wi-Fi, probably a free handheld device, you know, provided by your VC firm and, and hungry, not for food, but for, to participate right. in the global economy. And uh, to solve problems. So I think it's like an extraordinary time for unbelievable amount of really good things happening. Like people really wanting to solve the environmental problems. You know, go to space, mine Mars, you know, set up colonies. Just all sorts of crazy, cool things happening. It turns out there's like one guy making people like reimagine those possibilities. Yeah, yeah. No, Elon's incredible. (laughs) But... um. Yeah, thanks for being part of that, by the way. I mean, you're 24, 25, you said? Yeah, a couple of weeks, I'll be 25. Yeah, and so those of us who are in the baby boomer, like, we're enjoying the ride, you know, and some of some of us get to play as investors and everything, but you guys, you br- were brought up with the internet. I was brought up, you know, on my friend's farm. You know what I mean? Right. I was poking holes in the earth with a, <laughs> with a sledgehammer and bailing hay when I was your age. Oh. Well, actually, I was in the SEAL teams when I was <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different um yeah no i mean isn't it exciting do you get it is no when i like every day i go to a place where we are making the, one of the most advanced robots in the world and it's also something that any consumer can just buy online yeah, um crazy, which yeah. is wild and you know when you talk about these big things opening up space travel to actually be a possibility or you know, significantly revamping the infrastructure around cars and how we power our homes and, you know, commercial buildings, things like that. Um, For a lot of those areas, let's say, you know, robotics and autonomy gets a lot of this too, where there's kind of obvious downsides coming down the pike and people would prefer, some some people would prefer that, you know, let's just not even go down this route. Let's Mm -hmm. not replace the folks working, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, places like fast food joints, Mm -hmm. you know, those jobs, we've had them for decades. Parts of our economy have kind of warped themselves mm-hmm. around their existence. Uh, let's leave the status quo where it is. Reimagine the whole economy. Well, and this is you where know, the industrial age economy, or you go, you get a job, and you know, pretty much, if you want a job, except for six or seven percent of the population, you know, you go get it. And then we have sa- social safety nets. That's that's just a con. It's just like you know what Ferrari said in Sapiens. That's a myth. That's right. a story. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we all buy into that story. But guess what? That story isn't going to hold up in 20 years. And you know? the thing is that it's much more it's much easier to identify the things from today that will change. But it's right. so hard to understand what 
will arise because of Correct. these kind of yeah. assumptions and the underlying economy right. changing. Um, and the this story is where of what it means to be human is being changed by our creation, which right. is technology. Uh, no, and this I, I mentioned this early in a conversation before we started recording, but you know Marshall McLuhan, the philosopher yeah. who you know he, he's most famous for the whole the medium is the message mm-hmm, uh, right. line, but you know he talked about new technology as both extending humanity as well as um, you know cutting elements of it off. With right. you know, for instance, the telephone gave us the ability to in real time communicate with someone on the other side of the country and the planet. Uh, but it also killed penmanship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, that was something that for a couple hundred years was like part of being a cultured human was right. like, oh, yeah. my handwriting right. is very good. Uh, you know, not just that you write well in terms of your prose, but, but I actually true. like the actual like art of it. Um, and, you know, it's from little things like that all the way up to how do most humans spend their time? Yeah. On the other side of it, we're probably going to end up feeling pretty happy about where we land. The idea that automation will kill all jobs and people will be like just on the dole. They'll I find, find highly other, unrealistic. They'll find other ways to yeah. find meaning. Yeah. Right? Um, and to add value. People aren't going to start stop looking for those things. Right. Um, you know, even if let's say there's some tiny percent of the population that is like, you know what? I'm going to take a paycheck from the government or from some blockchain mm-hmm. uh, every month and play video games or be in VR all the time. Um, one, uh, is that the worst thing in the world uh, compared to, you know, how young men who have been down their luck or haven't found opportunities have spent their time uh, in the past? Mm-hmm. Mm, debatable. But there's whole uh, economies in those video games. No. And so that's that's the follow you know point, I mean? which is we're moving to this point where digital goods matter as much as physical goods right. in some areas. And yeah, Ready Player One brought that home for you. Right. Uh, the idea that. And this is something that's existed for more than a decade now. There was, you know, a video game that was available from the early 2000s called Second Second Life. Second Second Life. Life. So people would make outfits for virtual characters or cool apartments or activities that you do with other people. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of economy going on. And they make six-figure incomes just from making virtual things to do. Right. Um, And and so... the whole, there's factories in China where they're just playing video games to build avatars and then they, they'll sell the avatars who have all this value right i don't know much about that but that's just no insane. and, and like, so you know you go get to this point too where you think about okay so let's say we have augmented reality where we're able to while out in the real world you're essentially having virtual goods overlaid on top of things and maybe it's like you know uh when people see me through their ar glasses they see i'm wearing a nicer outfit than I am actually. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's things like that. Maybe it's, you know, kind of small widgety apps that pop up in the appropriate context. Right. You're walking down the street and, you know, you want to know just like where are the good tie or tie places and like right. bloop, bloop, it just overlaid on top of your vision. Um, all, all of those things, you, you could basically imagine like creating those virtual goods. It allows entrepreneurship with far lower friction than was possible. If you wanted to make sunglasses for the masses in the era of physical goods, like you had to spin up production somewhere and that required having upfront capital. You just buy a 3D they're bits. printer and well, no, I was going to say some contract, you know, I was going to say in the era of digital goods, oh, they're digital bits. bits. <laughs> you yeah, literally yeah, right. control C, control V. <laughs> crazy, um, yeah. And, you know, that's something that that's kind of another lens I used to look through the world at when I was an investor in Andreessen Horowitz with was, if you look at where technology ends up being really transformative, it's if you look at the world as like a series of equations, like representing like friction or costs or, you know, uh, how people value things. What really impactful tech does is it makes numbers in those equations go to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like how did the kind of what did yeah. the 
you know, collective action of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube do to media, it made the distribution of information, the, the cost of it zero. And that's why newspapers went away is because they were based on a world where part of their model was distributing information had physical constraints. You had to print papers and then distribute to them to people in a certain radius of mm-hmm. wherever you made them. Mm-hmm. And so newspapers enjoyed this geographic monopoly and the same thing for local TV stations. And we, by like virtualizing the ability to distribute things, we made the cost of that zero and radical changes happened because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's again why I had that model earlier of look at these areas where there's always increasing inefficiencies, mm-hmm. like making any of those things go to zero will entirely change the world. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can make construction, <laughs> you, you know that no subcontractor will ever mess up any part of the job of making, you know, a large skyscraper, um, you know, that can add billions of dollars to a project and it yes. makes, you know, it decreases the amount of investment in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And if you eliminate that entirely, you know, how much more dense will urban areas get over a hundred year time horizon? Right. Interesting. Or if we're having virtual meetings and we don't need yeah. skyscrapers anymore. Yeah. So that's, that's actually another thing where, farms. Right. so that's where the collision of these different areas also introduces radical transformation. That's hard to predict. So for instance, virtual and augmented reality makes face to face interactions possible without actually being in the same location. Yeah, and so off human contact. Back, well, un- to, unless like, again, it's taking in enough about the world so that you actually feel like you're getting all of the body language that people give off as they're having a conversation and you're going to have gloves and jackets that let you actually like hug and have handshakes that like pretty accurately represent what would have happened in real life where, you know, you mentioned like climate change and all of this tech being affected by it. It might not be uh, installing solar panels and batteries everywhere and all of us switching from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles anytime soon. It might be that virtual and augmented reality like obviate the need to do business travel for some percentage of, you know, uh, trips that happen every year. And if you look at like an average person's uh, impact environmentally in terms of carbon output, you know, you can switch to a Prius or an electric car versus your, you know, mm-hmm. CRV doesn't have, doesn't have much of an impact. No. Uh, cutting off all flying, uh, far more impactful, like Is in order right? of magnitude, uh, oh. more impactful. And so it might be like entirely unexpected technology changing how we go about our lives, changing those underlying assumptions, changes our underlying behavior. Right. And that's actually how, you know, climate change, the accumulation of carbon um, dioxide in our atmosphere, like that actually might be what moves the needle on that. Right. Wow. Well, I think that's probably a good place to kind of <laughs> I could go for days. Surrender so, yeah, because we could, <laughs> we could go for days. This has been fascinating. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Yeah, you rock. Um, so is there any place that people can learn more about what type of thoughts you have do you have a blog yeah so um i'm on twitter uh pretty heavily uh i made a lot of jokes about social media addiction twitter is where i'm addicted so uh my handle is kyle b russell Russell. yep and uh from there uh you can also find uh kind of longer form thoughts that i put out on medium um so that's where that's where i put kind of articles where i pontificated about some of these things in a little bit more depth yeah Well, thanks so much for your time and uh, look forward to reading your stuff and yeah, this uh, was fun. learning more. It's been a lot of fun. All right, folks, uh, that was an interesting journey. Look into the future. Uh, it's all coming at us really fast. So um, stay focused and make good choices. Be unbeatable. Train hard. Stay focused about um, also keeping your humanity and uh, not surrendering or outsourcing too much to technology. Use it as a tool.
Booyah. See you next time. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleet.